Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Show. You're listening to the first and only podcast dedicated to the business of pharmacy. Hear from independent pharmacy owners, leading entrepreneurs, political strategists, healthcare technology trends, career coaching, interviews about our pharmacy industry, and more. Be sure to subscribe to the show via iTunes and leave us a voice comment from our contact section on the website. You can find all of our episodes at pharmacypodcast.com. This is Peter Dunn, Pete the Planner, personal finance expert, and you're listening to The Pharmacy Podcast. Welcome to The Pharmacy Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts in 2016, Aaron Albert. More on me and my writing and work over at my website, AaronAlbert.com. And speaking of writing, today marks an important start to a five-part mini-series I'll be hosting for the Pharmacy Podcast moving forward, based upon a post I wrote over at LinkedIn a few weeks ago entitled, Five Roads Out of Retail Pharmacy. Now, if you're a retail pharmacist, props to you. One of the toughest jobs I ever did, I went in and out of retail pharmacy at different points in my career. And I wanna help you, dear listeners, if you would like to go on a different career trajectory moving forward. So thousands of you have actually read this article. If you have, thank you. If you haven't, go over to linkedin.com and check it out. So I knew I needed to expand upon this topic. And in looking at the five roads out of retail pharmacy that I wrote about, bullet four talked about money. And money is often a challenge or income relative or a barrier to sometimes leaving retail pharmacy. So I really switched that up to being number one. We want to focus on that first because you have to plan ahead if you want to move out or move on from retail pharmacy. My second thought was I have to bring Pete the planner onto the pharmacy podcast because he is the money guy. Now, if you're not familiar with Peter Dunn, He is an expert on money. He coaches and helps other professionals with their money. Uh, He has a syndicated column with USA Today. I just found out recently he's also becoming a contributor to Good Morning America. He podcasts on his own, and the name of his podcast is The Million Dollar Plan, and he is an author and prolific author at that. And I can't say enough good things about Pete the Planner. So excited to bring him here to you today. Peter Dunn, Pete the Planner, welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast. Aaron, it is so good to be on your show, given that you've appeared on my radio show for years now. So I finally get to return the favor. The tables have turned. Very exciting. So it uh, is a great topic. And I'm, uh, I've always felt that uh, retail pharmacists are golden handcuffed to their jobs because of their gigantic incomes. And sometimes people get themselves in a position that they feel like they can't leave. So uh, I'm looking forward to digging that apart and figuring out how exactly you can leave a high paying job when you want a different quality of life. Perfect. But before we go there, let's back up a little bit. And I want to learn and I hope if you can, if you're willing to share with our listeners, how did you become excited about, passionate about helping people with their money? And how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so I was a financial planner, a boring, nerdy financial planner (laughs) uh, for several years. And in 2005, I remember it was in the fall of 2005, I was pointing to the driveway of a new client. It was a husband and wife. They were both attorneys. 
household income of just under $400,000 a year. And in the Midwest, Aaron, you know that makes you a Rockefeller. Yep. And so I was pulling in the driveway and I thought, you know what? I get a few more clients like this. I'm good to go. Well, 90 minutes later, I returned to my car. Like my head hung low. And I was like, man, these people are a disaster. What are they doing? They're the worst people financially I've ever seen. And in that moment, I felt like I was at a crossroads. I could either just dump them and find someone else or fix them. And what I, what I came to understand is that no matter what your education level is, no matter how much money you make, if you don't understand that money is about behavior and not math, you're in deep trouble. So that's when I started writing. And I mean, fast forward, I guess, 11 years from there, I've written 10 books, radio and TV and all these other things. But my job is, my company, we do financial wellness benefits in the workplace. And so I have some of the largest companies in the world as clients of mine. And uh, I speak about 250 times a year. And I love teaching people about money. Awesome. I can't think, like I said, a, a better person to talk about the golden handcuffs of the retail pharmacist. And I know you and I off air have talked about this a lot. Pharmacists make between one hundred and one hundred thirty thousand dollars a year. Again, in the Midwest, that is Rockefeller level money. And so when you have someone that's making high income, how how do you or even go back to those lawyers? How do you help them start untangling the issues around money? I think it has a lot to do with understanding your life as a teenager before your first job. Aaron, what was your first job? Now that you have a thousand jobs, what was your first job? I worked for my parents on redoing houses. Okay, so I wasn't that different. I worked for my parents installing water heaters and air conditioners at our plumbing company. Awesome. Before you have a job, you have no expenses. Okay. And so then you get income and income begets expenses. And then, then it turns into this point where your income creates dependency issues based on your expenses. And when you have a high income, that happens at a faster pace. And if you don't watch it, uh, you then have to work to fund your lifestyle. And I think with pharmacists or attorneys or doctors, and I used to work with a lot of professional athletes, you don't keep into perspective that quality of life is not about stuff. The quality of life is about flexibility. And so what we try to inject into people is not only resourcefulness, but to get them to value flexibility. And when I look at someone like a high paid retail pharmacist trying to do something different, we have to get them to understand they need to earn the right to change their career. You have to earn the right and you do that by getting your expenses and your income in line. All right. So how would someone go about that? I know you're kind of a fan of budgeting, or at least you were at one point. <laughs> well, no, I, I've given up on budgeting and just have gone to crossing your fingers for <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> yes, that's my next book. It's called <laughs> Screw It. There's really no such thing as budgeting. It's all... My, it's, it, no publisher has picked it up yet. I'll tell you. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be a page turner. <laughs> yeah, I, I would just say this, Aaron. It's people hate budgeting, but I don't think you had me on this podcast to tell you what you already know. Um, but it's it's simply a way to prove to yourself that you're being resourceful. And if if you were too dependent on your income, what you have to do is explore your major categories of spending. So uh, I like to think of it as sort of a master category, and then there's a subordinate uh, expenses that come after that, like housing. Mm -hmm. 
generally everywhere other than the big five cities, I like to see people uh, in the 25% of take-home pay to go to mortgage payment or rent. And, and by the way, people often creep that up to 35, 40. Okay. That's okay. But if you're over 40, you are, and this is not subjective, this is objective, you are overhoused. And your life will be stressful because of how much you pay for a roof. And what I find at high paying jobs is you go to one of those online mortgage calculators, you type in how much house can I afford and you seal your fate for decades and it's all about your house. Mm-hmm. So that's the first place. Okay. Transportation is obviously the second big budget area where people make mistakes. Um, and I don't know. I'm not a car guy. You have a nice, you have a nice car. I'm not a car person per se. Uh, but sometimes people... Uh, spend too much on, on, on car payments. The average car payment in America for all Americans uh, for new cars in, in uh, the first quarter of 2016 was 503 bucks a month, Aaron. Wow. And no one can afford I mean, no one can afford that. If I lived in my car, I think I could afford that. <laughs> yeah, no, but here's the dumb part. Uh, or maybe not dumb, but it's reality. Uh, a pharmacist can't afford that, you know? And so it, you get into this thing where you really can afford almost the best of everything. And then you feel like if you don't get the best of everything that you're actually settling for less. And, and I think whether you're a young professional or an older professional, it's a really common error. And it's why people can't retire is because they're too dependent on high income. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I've tried to tell my pharmacy students this several times, too, because Often they're in school six or seven years before they finally graduate and get their doctor of pharmacy. And, I, you know, particularly with the younger professionals, they're just getting out of pharmacy school. Sometimes they have a lot of debt. Um, and with the challenge in pharmacy, they have even longer programs than four years. Some cases it's six or seven years. How do you help coach those younger professionals to live maybe more austerely, for a few more years rather than rolling out to buy the big bends, the big house and pay off all this college debt. Well, it's a challenge. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a huge challenge. And if, and look, I've never been a retail ther- uh, pharmacist. You, I think you know that. Uh, but I, I'm guessing the stresses and the things that come with that, the things you've told me about in the past, um, can be so bad that you want to turn your focus away from debt. And you want to focus to living. And so you got to make a decision. You got to make a decision. Are you willing to bite the bullet and try to get those loans paid off in less than 10 years? Or are you going to go with the amortization table, which can be 10 to 25 years? And I think at those income levels, I think a person should be aggressive and uh, somewhere between four to eight years should be the goal. I think too many people feel the pressure to buy a home. The clock is ticking. You got to mm-hmm. be a home. And I think I think it's where a lot of the trouble starts, even with debt, is that you get out, you got this debt, and then you're like, well, how am I going to buy a house? Which is a terrible question at the beginning of a career, because the second you anchor yourself to a roof, uh, you make it harder to be nimble and to make a career change when necessary. Um, yeah, debt's tough. And, and Aaron, it also what it does, unfortunately, is it convinces people to not contribute enough to retirement. Uh, early on in their career. And because of the way compounding interest works and the way math works, the earliest contributions you make are the most powerful contributions. And in fact, let's say even the fact that you are 
graduating a little later out of uh, a Farm D program, it's it, it, it brings its own challenge. Let's say I start contributing to an account at age 22, and I put in uh, $400 a month. Okay, at age 22, I'm starting right out of college. I'm putting $400 a month away. Uh, I know at the end of that time frame, I'm going to have roughly $2.1 million in retirement. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. If uh, how old is typically someone when they graduate a Farm D program? You tell me. Twenty three. Twenty four. Okay, yeah. so a, a year later, just a year later, um, maybe two years later, it looks like, and that if that's the case, instead of having two point one million dollars, by waiting two years uh, longer, it's one point six million bucks. Mm. So it's a half million dollar difference by waiting two years at just $400 a month contribution level, which is approximately going to be about 5% of your income if you are making $100,000 a year. So the longer you wait, the harder your financial life gets in the end. Got it. Yeah. And so what Let's say hypothetically we have a retail pharmacist. Maybe she's been working in retail pharmacy now about five to seven years. She's almost done with her student loan debt. She wants to make a change. So what are the first three things she needs to consider around her money in order to make a change? I would ask her in that moment. So the debt's almost gone. It's going to take care of itself. I would say you need to examine your your major master expense categories okay are you willing to change in housing are you willing to make a change in transportation is it does this change your dining out lifestyle i mean if you're working retail pharmacy does that mean you're stopping to get food on the way home more than someone who's not i mean i i don't know the answer to these things i would assume i would just go grab something in aisle four it's a hostess snowball and i just eat it for lunch seems like a pretty cheap lunch um, but I, I think you look at the master categories and I would also look at, uh, especially based on maybe you haven't done as good a job saving for retirement as you want, are the retirement benefits are the match uh, is the match that's being offered to you at your new role. Is it at least comparative what the, the maybe the big box stores could offer you? Mm-hmm. That's where you got to start. I mean. Uh, it's hard to care about benefits when you're 22 years old. It's hard to, hard to care about benefits when you're 30. I don't know when you start caring, maybe 38 or so. Hmm. Uh, but when you're that young, you, you A, you feel invincible, and B, how can you think about retirement? You just started your career five years ago. Why do you want to think about 45 years from now? Uh, but if you're going to take a cut in pay, it, it either means that your long-term is going to take a hit, your short-term financial life is going to take a hit, or your mid-term financial life is going to take a hit. And it's up to you to determine which one that is. Okay. And a third thing? Well, I mean, uh, the third thing you really want to deal with if you're going to take that much of a, of a pay cut is uh, then you start to do sort of opportunity costs, uh, the, the value of your lifestyle. Um, I sold my financial practice in 2012, although I was doing very well financially, A, because I wanted to pursue what I'm doing now, but B, it's just, I didn't like it. I didn't want to do it. So for a little while, I made less money and I was happier. Okay. So I don't know how you put an economic value to that, but I'm pretty glad I made the switch. Yeah. Well, I always tell students to do a values assessment. Like what's important to you personally 
And then when you're shopping for a new employer, look at their values. And are your values congruent with theirs or conflicting? Because if they're conflicting, the theory is you're going to be less happy down the road. Yeah, and, and, and I, I think that's, that's definitely a consideration. Every workplace values something different. Right. Like, I, I, I think I'm a very ethical person and I have good values. But as an employer, here's what I have to offer my people. Solid pay, good retirement benefits, and as much time off as you want. I'm a believer in the get stuff done principle. Other people don't believe that. Some people that work for me feel pressure that it's some sort of test. Like, like I, that means they can't take a day off because I said you can take off whenever you want. So you, you got to just see if it's a good culture fit for you. And that's a hard value to assess for pharmacists because many retail pharmacists are bound by geography. They are bound by the fishbowl pharmacy in which they are working during working hours. So I know a lot of pharmacists kind of struggle with that idea or that concept and putting a value on it um, prior to making the leap to a different facet of pharmacy practice. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about tools. You have 10 books. So talk a little bit more about how you utilize those books or how your clients could utilize those. If we've got folks out there that want to read more about how to prepare for this change. Yeah, so I have the series I just wrote called Your Money Life. So it's your money life, your 20s, your money life, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s. So it's whatever decade of your life you're in. And it just says, here's what you should be focusing on in that those 10 years. But really, Aaron, I, I want to give you the metric that I personally use to measure how I'm doing. Okay. It's sort of a, it's sort of a weird number. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it works like this. You take your gross monthly income. And uh, so that's before taxes, before benefits. And, and let's, uh, for a pharmacist, let's just round it up and say they're making $10,000 a month gross. Okay. Okay. $10,000 a month gross. All right. So I, what I want to know of that $10,000, how much of it is moving you forward financially? And there's two ways to move yourself forward, to get out of debt and to save or invest money. Okay, so if that 10,000 bucks, let's say you save 10% of your income. So of the 10,000, 1,000 is immediately set aside for retirement. Let's say your employer matches uh, 5%. So then there's another 500 that you get to add on. So there's 1,500 of the 10,000s being leveraged for good. Let's say $800 of your mortgage payment goes to pay the principal and not the interest. There's another 800 that moves you forward. Let's say you're making a $500 student loan payment. There's 500 that moves you forward and you're putting $400 into a savings account. That's another 400. So what, how I measure my financial life is I add all those numbers up and I say, what percentage of my gross monthly income is going to move me forward? If it's over 35%, Aaron, as you would say, that makes you a baller. Right. <laughs> if you're over, I know you well enough to know that's how you talk off the air. Right. So, <laughs> which is, by the way, not true, everybody. Uh, but over 35% is amazing. Below 10%, it's time to reevaluate everything. Everything. Because it means you're consuming your entire income. That's why I don't even care if people have a lot of debt. Because it can still move you forward. I'd rather you have a lot of debt and pay it off than a person that has no debt that's not saving anything because you're not moving forward. So to me, I haven't, I, I made this up. I haven't even named anything yet. Maybe I'll call it the Albert ratio. <laughs> 
How about the baller ratio? The baller ratio. I don't know. I don't know if I've got the Wall Street cred for that, but we'll go with the Albert ratio. What percentage of your gross monthly income are you moving forward by every month? And uh, again, below 10%, not good. Above 35%, your life is, is, is glorious. And also, I would say, as you're evaluating new opportunities, maybe with lower pay, run it through the Albert ratio and make sure that you're still somewhere near that 35% range. That's an excellent piece of advice. And I want to go back to something you mentioned, too, in savings. So whether people call it the rainy day fund, I call it something else. Um, how much income should someone have in reserve for that rainy day, for that leaky roof, for that water heater or that air conditioning unit to be changed by Pete the Planner? Yeah, I tend to think that three three months does the job. However, here's a giant caveat. If you're looking for the ultimate in flexibility, if, there's, if you're in a position where you think you may take a pay cut or something to that degree, or even for that matter, if you're in sales and you don't know what's coming in every month, six, month is, six months is warranted. Um, I would say those emergency funds or the oh shoot funds, as some people call mm -hmm. them, um, <laughs> what they allow you to do is to take the appropriate amount of risks with your investments. Uh, that's why I don't feel any pressure to invest my emergency fund. People, people are like, I've got $15,000 doing nothing. What should it do? And I'm like, it should do nothing. That's, that's what it does. Nothing. Because it has your back. If there's an, a, an emergency caused by our economy and it's, your money's invested, you're a dum-dum. Right. Because then your, your account's going to get hit from a risk perspective and just when you need the money. Right. Uh, so I, I, I like three months. Personally, I use three months uh, at our household. And obviously, as a business owner with several employees, we try to keep a little bit more on hand than that. Yeah. Uh, three months will do for most people unless a career changes on the horizon and you need to crank that sucker up to six. OK. Excellent advice. So. One of the other aspects that I talked about for pharmacists potentially wanting to get out of retail and move on to different pastures of pharmacy is poss the possibility of furthering their education. So what do you have around suggestions for money and money management should a pharmacist need to go back and further his or her education? The first rule of student loans is to not take out more than you need. And I know that sounds like a really simple, dumb thing to say. But I will say in 2008, 2009, a pretty solid portion of the population in the United States that went back to school, there were reports that suggest that people did that just to take out student loans to survive, not for the education itself. Wow. I know it's, it's a sickening idea. Now, that being said, you and I both know people of the ilk that we're talking about right now as pharmacists and uh, farm professionals, they're not, they're not going to do that. Yeah. But I, I don't see why people take out so much in student loan debt uh, when it's unnecessary. I did a study a couple of years ago uh, for undergrad degrees in the state of Indiana specifically, uh, only or up to 51%, up to 51% of total college costs were non-tuition related. Wow. You know, and so if you're thinking, well, I'm here to educate myself. Well, well what's the 51 percent? I mean, the 49 percent is educating you. What's the 51 percent? It's it's living some it's creating another household. It's fees. It's it's all transportation costs and all these other things. So I know it's oversimplified, but the first tip there is to don't take out any more student loans than you need to. OK. 
you know, beyond that, if you think you're going to do something like that, plan ahead, you know, open a 529 plan for yourself. Uh, you can put $5,000, depending on what state you're in, uh, different states, usually $5,000 is the threshold for a particular tax credit that can create some tax advantage. Uh, a Roth IRA is a great retirement funding vehicle, and it can also be used for education. So if you get that little uh, itch uh, upon graduating from college or PharmD program, and you think you might want to go back uh, and further your degree even more, then by all means, plan ahead with a Roth IRA, if nothing else, because it's a very flexible education and retirement tool. And have you ever studied to see how many employers actually offer uh, education reimbursement or tuition reimbursement? It's a it's a popular benefit these days. What you know, and what employers are doing that's making me a little nervous is they're offering a student loan repayment option. Uh, for people that have already furthered their education. I say it makes me nervous because some programs are asking folks to say, you can either have your 401k match, which is, you know, three or 4% or whatever we're putting in, or we won't match your 401k. Instead, we'll help you pay off your student loans. Well, because of compounding interest, if you say no to a 401k match early in your career, you don't understand mathematics because the, the, those contributions are going to double five times. Mm-hmm. Throughout the course of your career, a $5,000 deposit at age 22 and left completely alone, unmolested until retirement will be $160,000, Aaron. So five grand is $160,000. So if you say no to an employer's $5,000 earlier in your career because you want them to pay off your student loans, you, you've just given up one hundred and sixty grand, which is, is, is bad knowledge. Right. So... I wanted to kind of ask you something a little off the beaten path here, but it's something that I think is happening across professions and you seem to be a master of it. And that's being a multi-pational. I call it multi-pationalism. These people that have a career portfolio going on, they have several gigs that may or may not be part-time, full-time, for pay, not for pay, but yet all kind of go under this theme or umbrella. So I'm trying to get more of the pharmacy world to think and consider this career option as well. So what advice do you have, not necessarily even in money, but in terms of career development for the portfolio professional? Well, allow me to say, as much as this seems like I'm part of the Mutual Admiration Society, you've been very influential in my life in this regard. Uh, You've led me to see the importance of this, me watching you. Uh, And we have another mutual friend, uh, Abdul, who is very (laughs) much, uh, who thinks this way as well. Um, For me, and I I can only speak for myself, there's two aspects of this. Number one, I think people should be skilled. (laughs) And what that means to me is that when you do different occupations, you develop different skill sets. And what's super magical and slightly mystical (laughs) is when you slap all the skill sets together, man, you're pretty interesting, right? I mean, that's what's so fascinating about this. I I was a financial planner who was a comedian on the side, who liked the media, who wanted to be on, who did some TV, did some radio, was a writer. And and now it's, I'm about to go third person. So do you have like a little uh, horn you can play? (laughs) But now it's just turned it, what what is it now? It's just sort of this Pete the Planner thing where I, I get, 
paid to talk for a living. I get paid to write in USA Today. I get to talk on Good Morning America. And it's it's these set of skills that I developed because I had uh, a mutual or lots of different interests. Mm -hmm. Now, the other component to this is I get really bored. And I frankly, and I don't want to project, I think that's with you, too. I get I get (sighs) really bored. So I got to recreate, man. If I did do the same thing every day, I, I would go nuts. So I just add stuff on them. Hmm. I don't think of it as boredom. I think of it as um, new adventures, I guess. New adventures. I think that's called, that's called boredom, Aaron. Mm-hmm. I, I, I will say I'll add one other thing. Um, I am a recovering underachiever. Okay, like big time. <laughs> like, like big time. Like my parents, I remember sitting at an Applebee's in middle school and they're just shaking their heads at me as I'm eating a chicken fingers basket, right? And they're just like, what, what's, what's going to happen here? Um. I still have a lot of laziness in me, but here's where the laziness goes now. It goes to, I don't want to learn the conventional way to do something. I'd rather just make up my own way. Mm-hmm. Right. And so sometimes that leads to entrepreneurship or, or multipational sort of things. Uh, but I still credit my laziness for the, a lot of the things I've created because I just didn't want to know the real way to do it. You wanted the PTP way. Yeah. I'm, okay. I mean, if that makes me a narcissist, then so be it. Well, I think that's half the fun sometimes is trying to just figure it out, right? It is. My first book I wrote was 100 pages. Uh, to call it a pamphlet would be <laughs> And it's terrible. And, you know, and, and what it was is what I, it was me trying to be conventional but explain things. And it was just dumb. It was just dumb. And it made no sense. And I just wasn't being myself. And so I just decided uh, to always just look through my own lens, right? I I don't feel the need to learn the way everyone else did it. I I feel like I've got something unique to offer. And I think everyone needs to view their career that way. Uh, Don't be a soldier, just like completely uh, respect and have confidence in your own lens. So with that, maybe not your first book, but where can people (laughs) find you on and around the internet and on, I guess, multimedia channels now that you're in Good Morning America, etc. Well, I can just say, if you own my first book, I will offer to buy it back. <laughs> the purchase price. I will pay you 20 bucks to get them off the street. Um, PeteThePlanner.com. You know, uh, my podcast is very important to me. Uh, we have a new project. I have an app coming out any day now called Million Dollar Plan. And so I, I believe anyone in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, and it's not believe, it's just I know the math. You have to be a millionaire. You have to be a millionaire by the time you retire. So million dollar plan is sort of what we're doing these days. And the app tells you the exact day, Aaron, in which you will be a millionaire, as though you aren't already. And then it gamifies the process of moving that day up. And so I'm, I'm obsessed with showing people what it takes to be a millionaire. And I, I know how scammy that sounds. Like, I mean, it sounds like you're going to have to sell protein shakes and things. That's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> what it means Amway, is, Avon. Look, I'm not here to name names. All I know is I'm not going to have you over with our friends and guilt you into buying my candles and things. Okay. 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 Or jewelry. <laughs> yeah. Look, I don't know. Uh, guys don't do that. Let me just say, I don't want to get gendery here, but I've never had my friends over be like, Hey, do you want to buy a hammer? I'm like, no, I don't want to buy your hammer, but I'll take some bourbon. Uh, no. So a million dollar plan is my focus right now. Okay. Well, that sounds amazing. Like, I would love to play a game to find out when I'm going to be a millionaire. Who doesn't want to play that? 
Yeah, it's available on I, uh, I, iPhone here uh, any day now. Awesome. Well, Pete, the planner, thank you for joining us on the Pharmacy Podcast. And I'm going to end this show with the world famous, which I stole from Tim Ferriss, speed round. So right. I'll just ask you a few questions. I'm not going to comment. You give me short answers and we'll wrap this puppy up. Are you ready? Thanks, Doc. Yep. All right. Number one, what book are you reading right now? I'm rereading 10% Happier by Dan Harris. Other podcasts you're listening to right now? I love the Axe Files, David Axelrod's podcast, and I can't stop listening to Alec Baldwin's podcast, so here's the thing. If you had one word to describe healthcare right now, what would that word be? Intimidating. What is your best daily ritual to keep your work on track? Get to the office three hours earlier than everyone else. What's your best money tip right now? Money's like toilet paper. When you have a lot at your disposal, you will use more. If you don't have a lot at your disposal, you will use less. Therefore, don't have a lot at your disposal. What's the best career advice you ever received? Have a full plate. My first boss pulled me aside two weeks into the job. He said, you feel like you have a lot of energy, but you use it at home. Why don't you actually fill your plate with your community, with work, with projects, and you will have a great life. And, uh, he was right. What inspires you? Seeing a light bulb go on in people's heads every day. People that maybe don't make the greatest incomes in the world, but they can change their lives by understanding money a little bit better. Last question. Best social media tip? If you wouldn't say it to your grandma, don't tweet it. Pete the Planner, Peter Dunn. PeteThePlanner.com. Thank you for joining us today on this five-part mini-series. You are part one. We are good to go. Thank you. Thanks, Doc. I appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Pharmacy Podcast Show. Be sure to subscribe to the show and send us a voice message with your ideas and comments from our contact section on the website. Did you know we develop digital health content to assist with business development and marketing efforts? Learn how we can help you drive more patients, physicians, and targeted leads to your website. Contact us today at pharmacypodcast.com. 